Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. This week we find out about the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for 2015. And this is about how our DNA manages to stay safe and in order despite all of the threats it's constantly bombarded by. And we talk, and specifically, three specific repair mechanisms that help keep our DNA safe. We all know that DNA is very, very important to us. In fact, it's, you know, what makes us who we are and everything around us as well. Everything living, that is. So DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, is something that we understand as being essential and critical and gives us the building blocks for life. But our DNA, what makes us who we are, is under attack, constant attack, from a number of different sources. Sometimes it's external sources, like UV radiation. Sometimes it's sources that we ingest, like carcinogenic substances. And other times it's just free radicals sort of that are inside food or the things that we have or are exposed to. Sometimes themselves... DNA molecule is actually inherently unstable and sometimes there will be a spontaneous change or mutation that occurs. And all of these threats and attack mean that our cells are basically under attack, their very core instruction manual, on almost a daily basis. These defects can also be spread when the DNA is copied during the cell division process. And cells divide millions of times a day. So, obviously... Sometimes these defects can occur and we're under constant attack and they can spread. And that is how we end up with genetically spread uh, cells out of control with mutations. And this is things like how cancer spreads. Now, with all this change and behavior and attacks going on, how on earth does our DNA manage to stay stable, consistent, and, you know, replicating well so that our cells do the jobs that they're supposed to do and we stay who we are and don't just divulge into a big mess? Sometimes that does happen, and it's a very serious issue. So what keeps our DNA from devolving into a mess from all these little changes that occur each time is actually an amazing self-replication system that repairs and keeps our DNA on track. Now, it's interesting to think about this because obviously there's something being done to actually keep things ticking along. Otherwise, you know, well, we wouldn't be here. Because without this repair mechanism, DNA would not be stable. And without DNA being stable, it's unlikely that complex organisms such as ourselves could have evolved any level of sophistication. So clearly, there has to be some process in there. But we just didn't know what it was. We also didn't really know how it would work, even if we could figure out what was actually doing that regulation. So there's actually a whole host of molecular repair mechanisms and they monitor the genes, but also keep them in line. And this is done with a swarm of proteins. These proteins continually proofread the genome and repair any damage that's occurred. And for this, mapping of this fundamental process at a molecular level is what the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2015 was awarded for. It was awarded to Thomas Lindell at the Francis Crick Institute, Claire Hall on Laboratory in the UK, Paul Modric from the Duke University School of Medicine, and Aziz Sankar from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And together, these three researchers all tackled different parts of this whole problem 
of how our genes and DNA are actually self-monitored, regulated and repaired. Since DNA was discovered in the 1960s, we've been wondering how exactly it works. And just to recap briefly, for those of you who may not be 100% certain, there's those double helix symbol that you, you're, you're thinking of when you think of DNA, which live inside the chromosomes. The bars in the ladder that you think of when you picture of that spiraling double helix of DNA is made up from nucleotides. And there's four different bases, thymine, adenine, guanine, and cytosine. And they combine, and that into different combinations of GATC and you know, you know, Gattaca, if you want to think about it that way, is made up of those combinations of pairs. And those little pairs of those nucleotides um, are what comprise you know, a cell's chromosomes. So you know, if you think about a cell's 46 chromosomes, they, they're comprised of about 6 billion different combinations of base pairs. So that, that's what we talk about when we talk about DNA. And the way DNA replicates is this, the, the, when a cell divides... The chromosomes are copied, and the DNA replication machinery basically unwinds the helix and forms two new strands that copy and fit in based on some templates. So that's that's kind of the way it would, which it works. And when we started to analyze and understand DNA, we wanted to see if it was really stable. Now, Thomas Linder, when he was doing his postdoctoral research, was experimenting with RNA, and he wasn't really having much success with it. Then he started to do some research uh, at the Karolink Institute in Stockholm, and he noticed that DNA was decaying, and a slow but noticeable presence of decay. And he estimated there was about a thousand potentially devastating injuries to a genome each day. A frequency that was, you know, to make any sense given that you know life still existed on Earth. So the question was, how? DNA was repairing itself, and this opened up an entire new area of research. So if you want to study this, now it's really, really hard to do that at a human level because we're quite complex. But instead, Lindell actually used bacterial DNA, which is like human DNA, except the which consists of nucleotides with base anodyne, guanatine, cytosine, and thymine, but it's much more simpler and straightforward. So he used those to look for whether or not there was any enzymes which were activating the repair process. And what he actually found is how there's one chemical weakness in DNA, and that's that cytosine really loses easily its amino group. It means that, basically, if that falls off from the big chain, something else can come into place, maybe a mutation that will occur the next time the DNA is replicated. So obviously, since, you know, cytosine is present all over the place in the DNA chain, it has to have some way of protecting against that. And so they actually investigated that there must be some cell, the cell must have some protection in the form of a bacterial enzyme that removes damage in the cytosines, removes any damaged cytosines. In 1974, we actually published a paper which identified this bacterial enzyme, which identifies and repairs damages in cytosines, which is cool because that sort of gives us a hint to one aspect of the DNA chain that gets repaired. So this started what became a 35-year career career of successful research into DNA repair for Thomas Lindell, um, then moved to Claire Hall Laboratory actually getting into more detail on this. Interestingly, looking at the base excision repair that occurs in humans, and actually made some tests in 1996 in vitro to actually see the repair thing in process. 
So basic decision repair is one of the repair processes in DNA that Lindholm had a lot of work in mapping and understanding. And basically what happens is, say you've damaged a cytosome, so the C is part of the, the DNA chain. And so let's say it's lost its amino group, so it's sitting there going, oh, it can't really form that base pair connection. So then what ends up happening is that, you know, an enzyme, for example, glucolysis, discovers the defect and actually cuts away, excises the base part of, uh, of the leftover area, which is uracil, which is what happens when cytosine loses its amino group, but the damaged cytosine snips that away. Another couple of enzymes remove the leftovers of the nucleotide of the DNA strand. And basically, uh, DNA polymerase fills in the gap. The DNA strand is resealed by a ligase. So basically, let's say a cytosine or any of the other nucleotides gets damaged, it changes its shape once it removes its protective form, its, its, its pairing of its amino group. And then something, an enzyme, picks it up, cuts it out. Another couple of enzymes come and clean out the gap. And then a polymerase comes in and fills it in, and you're ready to go. So that's how DNA basic excision repair actually operates. And that's what Lindell did a lot of work in understanding. So that covers how DNA can often repair itself from internal damage, but what happens if DNA is exposed to an external threat? Something like UV light, which we know, or UV radiation, can damage cells. And that, that is something that's been tackled by Aziz Sankar. Now Aziz started off as a doctor, right? and uh, he was pretty interested in, in some of the chemistry aspects of it, and after a while of practicing as a physician in Turkey, he, he decided to move into biochemistry in 1973. And he did that because he kept seeing these bacteria that was exposed to deadly, like totally crazy levels of UV radiation. And it would, it would apparently seemingly kill the bacteria. But if you expose them to visible blue light, they seem to come back to life. And it seems almost magical in its nature, but obviously there was a real chemical process underlying that. And he really wanted to get in to understand what was causing that to happen on a chemical level. So he joined the research lab of Claude Rupert in America at the University of Texas and began to study, like blunt, in a rather blunt and clumsy way by modern standards, how UV-damaged DNA, for example, actually responds to radiation damage and then recovers and seeing what the mechanisms are behind it. So what he ended up doing to actually help study the repair aspects of UV-damaged DNA was get the bacteria to overproduce the enzyme for repair. So he actually modified it in such a way that he got them to overproduce this enzyme so he could study the effects with and without it. And he saw that that enzyme was actually what was causing the uh, UV-damaged cells to be repaired. This enzyme itself was photolyase. So he did that research, which eventually became his, his doctoral dissertation. But unfortunately, at the time, not many people were very interested in that. And the only way he could actually continue studying and investigating this specific DNA repair mechanism was by moving to become a laboratory technician at the Yale University School of Medicine, which was a pretty big institution at the time in the field. Um, but that switch, even to a, what was relatively a lowly position, meant that he would work on stuff that would eventually become his Nobel Prize in chemistry. 
what Aziz Sankar actually found was that bacteria obviously have two mechanisms for repairing UV damage. Clearly, um, the light-dependent methods, which he sort of studied, which is the photolyase, the release of that enzyme, but there had to be something else that worked in the dark, and they actually found a second system that functions in the dark. Now, they researchers have been studying that since the 1960s, and there were about three different types of strains that they knew, or bacteria, that they knew they could study with that. So building on his previous work in photolyase, he started, Sankar started to look at the dark type of repair mechanisms. And so he'd actually isolated and identified and characterized the three enzymes, which were coded by different types of genes, to con- that were doing this dark UV damage repair. So instead of relying on light to activate the repair, it was done in, in, in the dark. And he managed to isolate that and do trials in vitro to actually prove that it was working. So how this repair mechanism works is that radiation, UV radiation, or maybe impacts from carcinogens, such as found in cigarette smoke, damages a certain part of the chain um, and make two thymines bond to each other incorrectly. So instead of bridging across the ladder, they sort of bridge up and down. If that happens, then obviously you need to cut it out. So an enzyme, exonuclease, actually cuts out that whole damaged section, removes a big deal on DNA strand, and up to 12 nucleotides are actually removed. So even not just the ones that are damaged, the ones around it as well. And DNA polymerase fills in the gap. And ligase seals it back up again. So this is how the nucleotide excision repair process works. And it actually really well deals with external threats. When he published his findings on the nucleotide excision repair process, obviously that was too much acclaim in 1983. And it led him to an actual associate professor position. So he moved up from the, uh, this humble position he was holding at the time. Now to look at the third member of the award who awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry this year, Paul Modric. Now, Paul was studying and understanding a bit about this biology. He began his career as an early doctoral student at Stanford and a postdoc at Harvard. And he was really studying the way in which the enzymes, DNA ligase and DNA polymerase actually worked. And he really then started to shift more from those back into the actual chemical side. The enzymes such as Dan methylase actually worked. So what this means is, like, so Dan methylase sort of acts as a signpost to the the other enzymes to where to cut the DNA strands, the appropriate spots. So this other enzyme acts as kind of like the guiding hand, that's just a signaling signaling function for different methyl groups inside DNA. So if you think about the other repair mechanisms that we've just described, they sort of talk, they function by cutting out damaged sections of the DNA. But how do you know where that is? And that's where Dan meth Dan methylase comes in. It actually helps identify those trouble spots. So it was actually quite interesting in the way that Modric actually started to analyse this. Um, researchers such as Mielsen had, researchers such as Messelson had actually been looking at, you know, uh, the, the signposting and methylization of DNA. But what they started to do, Paul Modric and Mielsen, was to create really, really damaged DNA or uh, viruses and then see what was going on in its DNA and, and actually understand it and watch the mismatch repairs in process. So they intentionally create really, really damaged things and then see what happens. What that meant for Modric was that he actually started to to take a a decade of systematic work, cloning, mapping one enzyme after the other that actually fixes this mismatch repair process. And so after about a decade in the 1980s, he was able to actually create and test his repair mechanism in vitro and study it in great detail, which was published in 1989. So how does mismatch repair actually work then? So, well... 
when DNA is copied during cell division, sometimes the whole thing just gets out of alignment and the nucleotides are all mismatched and incorporated into new strands. And out of almost a thousand of such mistakes, mismatch repair fixes almost all of them but one. So we're just trying to figure out the last sort of... The enzyme uh, MUT H recognizes methyl groups in the DNA and also in the original strand, which acts as the template process for the copying process, which will still have methyl groups attached to it. And so what it does is then finds that fault by comparing against the template, removes it, and then polymerase can come in and fill in the gap, and ligase again comes in and seals the gap in the DNA strand. So the two enzymes, MUT-S and MUT-L, in, in the, actually act as the identification of mismatching based on the original and the template, and then cut it out and enabling the DNA polymerase and ligase to fill in the gaps. So MUT-L and MUT-S sort of act as the watchman on the mismatching, and been able to identify exactly where to cut and remove any damaged or mismatched DNA nucleotides. So basic scission repair, nucleotide scission repair and mismatch repair are only three of the many mechanisms that help keep our DNA safe. They fix Thousands of co-occurrences of DNA damage caused by everything from sun to carcinogenic substances like cigarette smokes or genotoxic substances. They also fix any spontaneous mismatch or errors that may occur, which really helps keep us together and functioning. If we didn't have these, our genome would collapse. Um, so these repair mechanisms are essential. So the Nobel Prize for that was awarded for this year in chemistry has actually helped us understand and function. On a, on a basic genetic level and keep functioning despite the bombard of attacks that we're subjected to. And that's really one of the great things about this research. And it's a culmination of what was been a many decades long search for understanding of how our, our genes are actually kept intact and a number of different mechanisms that have all been studied by different researchers across the world. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. So Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2015 was awarded for the understanding of the replication repair processes for DNA that help keeps our DNA safe. Three different specific repair mechanisms. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.